0: Okay, welcome to uh God's name scale podcast, and I have another returning guest with me. Uh, I've got Mr. Robert Fellows from 2D6. How are you, Robert?
1: Um, I'm great. How are you?
0: I am also great. Well, um, uh, it depends on the real world circumstances that you find yourself in. I'm finding at the moment, which is a ever changing picture, isn't it? But uh, we're facing another lockdown, uh, so we'll we'll take from that what we can and make the most of it. But
1: imagine all the armies people are painting in lockdown. It's it's
0: my goal now. I have I, now four weeks of lockdown. Although I will be working, I'll be making the absolute most of the social isolation that lockdown brings, where uh, we can't do anything outside of the house. So, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, figure, figure painting uh, will become uh, the, the prime uh, target of the next four weeks or more, dependent on how it goes. However, we are a podcast of positivity, Robert. So let's put global pandemics and US elections behind us. We're here to talk about you and your company. And I can't think of a better way to spend a Sunday evening.
1: Um, what would you like to address first?
0: <laughs> I want to see how you are, mate, because we we chatted last year. And I held my hands up and, and uh, went through a, a little bit of a hiatus with the podcast. and t- It took me seven months to get your first episode out. In that time, it seems like the world ended. Or, or we're in a different world, anyway. Did the world
1: end, world. or did a new one begin?
0: Yeah, well, there you go. There's a philosophical question for you, which we may or may not answer in the next hour or so. But I want to know how uh, how Mister Fellows is doing and how how Two D Six is going.
1: Um, I would have liked to have had more releases this year. Um, certainly had a lot more planned, but with with the lockdown that we had in the UK that lasted. Uh, was it four months, three months? Something like that, yeah. Uh, and being self-employed, uh, I basically lost about four months' worth of work complying with the the government's advice. Um, and being self-employed, normally you don't get any help. And we got some help, but it when you're used to skilled wages, getting basically what amounts to a little more and unemployment benefit, it's it's a big, big drop. Um and when when you're putting a lot of that resources into your your fledgling business, um, it has a big impact. Um, so there wasn't as many releases this year as there should have been. Um but the the releases that we have had have all been good quality. Um we've kept the quality high and I, I think we've diversified quite a lot and brung out a nice spread of miniatures
0: yeah I know that last time that we spoke um I was quite overwhelmed by the quality of the uh, stuff that you would sent through for me to have a look at um the the detail on it the the crispness of the casting um that was Eastern Front stuff uh and I was I was Really bowled over by it, but I know that you've continued um, on your megalomaniac release schedule, haven't you? For to do everything, uh, World War II, um, but also included uh, a step back into the dark ages and also I something thought, that was, sorry, I thought, was,
1: I thought it was only apt that we stepped back into the dark ages, seeing as we had a plague. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was very fitting, mate. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a genius bit of marketing, um, and and also uh, the the real uh, new shiny on the block, which is the Six mil Samurai Kickstarter, which will be the main topic of what we talk about. But we'll come to that shortly. Shiny, shiny. Yes, absolutely. And uh, well, I'm not going to talk. I'm going to resist the urge <laughs> to talk about it now because it is very nice. Um. So last, last time we spoke. We you discussed about your plans for the World War Two range and where you wanted to take it. Are, are you still? Is that still the dream?
1: Um, World War Two is is a huge range, and we couldn't just do a Kickstarter and do World War Two. It's t- it's too big. Um, it'll just be. It's going to be a drip, drip, drip process. But in the end. Um, you'll be able to drown in all the World War Two miniatures that we do. What a way to go! <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically the whole thing in a nutshell. It's it's so enormous. I mean, you, you go to look at you look at a, we we just on t thirty fours, and it's like, oh right, there's like seven of them plus. They built other things on the chassis, so which ones do we do? And you can just do one and go, that's our T thirty four. Um but I think people in this day and age they want a little bit more. They want a bit more granularity.
0: And and it looks like you're certainly going to give them that.
1: Um, it's 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 needed with certain models of a vehicle. The main battle tanks seem to be the worst offenders, um, and possibly some of the transports, the armored transports. Things like the SU eighty-five might have had a couple of marks to it. Um, the SU one hundred, which we've done recently, you know, you only really need one. Yeah. Um, so there's there's some vehicles which are like the Tiger. You, you probably only need two Tiger ones, um, an early one and a late one. Yeah. Uh, KV-1, really only need one, maybe two. You know, so it's, it swings and roundabouts.
0: Yeah, have I seen, I'm just on your website now, um, and I know you've got a couple of German tanks out there already, because I saw one of those uh, last time we spoke,
1: but have I seen images of some German infantry as well? Yeah, I sent you... In Messenger, I sent you some pictures of the unreleased German Infantry. Hopefully, they come around December twenty twenty, right at the start of December, end of yeah. November. Um, we've got some unusual poses because when you have six mil figures, when they when they uh, the machine guns are the worst offenders, and then it's like, do you do the pose in the prone position? or standing position. And if you do it in a standing position, you can't really do a firing pose, it's a bit unrealistic. Yeah. But the Germans, you might have seen in the photographs, they have uh, one of the assistants will brace the gun over his shoulder. Yes. And then lose his hearing. Yes. So I've 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 had that that um you know sculpted and that's that's one of our figures. And the other one is the transit in in transit, so just Know, march into another position yeah um so we, we tried to like you know instead of just just making world war two figures we're trying to expand the the dynamic poses um and, and make it a little bit more realistic and and just try and push you know against what we've already got and make something new and different you know rather than just oh well these are the same poses as someone else you know really push it out there and try and show the world that um, six millimeter wargaming really has got everything.
0: Yeah, I think this is one of the um, downsides that people seem to think of the six mil or 1300th or two eighty fifth scale is that there can't be any character or dynamism to the figures. Um, and I know I gushed endlessly about the Russians that I saw previously, but I'm just clicking through the images you've got now and if anybody looked at these images and said there's no dynamism and movement within these figures, then I'm afraid I'd, I'd have to check if there's, they're feeling themselves or not because there's some beautiful figures here um, from uh, command team with uh, mortar. You've got, as you've said, the MG3442 being carried at the trail. Uh, you've got the, the classic pose of being fired over the shoulder We've got the HMG on tripod. Um, And is this an anti-tank
1: rifle or what's what's the It is an anti-tank rifle. The Germans did have anti-tank rifles uh, in the beginning. They had had quite a lot of them because I think they stole them all off Czechoslovakia. Right. If my memory serves me rightly.
0: Um, And a Panzerschreck team. Uh, Sorry. Yes. Is that right? Panzerschreck? Panzerschreck?
1: It will be a Panzer yeah.
0: I always get confused. I'm not a World War II aficionado, and the Panzerfaust and Panzer... Panzerfaust is the one use, isn't it? Um,
1: they are single-use warheads, but they actually have a reusable uh, launcher. Right, okay. but essentially, yes.
0: And then the Panzer is a, is like the bazooka. Is that
1: right? Like? Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's actually modelled directly on the M1 bazooka. Uh, they oh, put some okay. in. I think it was Tunisia, but it might have been Italy. Don't quote me. Um, But they they basically did what the Germans do and uh, took it and then redesigned it, made it a little bit bigger. And uh, yeah.
0: Well, with my lack of knowledge of all things World War II, uh, I will take your absolute word for that. That sounds very plausible. Uh, What I can say is, though, that they're, they're looking gorgeous. You must be really pleased with the sculptor and what he's done.
1: I am a, a, a resident figure sculptor Gero um, he does a really good job. I'm really happy to work with him and uh, yeah, it didn't come overnight. We've we've dialed it in. It's been a long trek since since we started. Um but very quickly he's he's turned it around and and um given us some fantastic figures.
0: And how are these packaged? Do you buy them in, in bulk or is it
1: buy the strip? You can buy all of our things uh, in, in an individual unit. So you can buy a strip of infantry or a single tank.
0: So you, no no wastage then?
1: No, you don't have to buy five of everything or, you know, 40 or, or whatever. <laughs> you can buy just what you need. Um, whether that's a barrier to entry for some people, if you're not familiar with the period, I'm not exactly sure. I'd, I'd like to uh yeah if if people have opinions on that i'd like them to contact me but
0: um they're looking lovely robert i've got to say and i'm throughout this interview i'm going to be encouraging anybody listening to go to the 2d6 wargaming website to check these out and and just take a look for yourself because they are very very nice um i'm just looking here as well the rule sets now you've got the battalion rules haven't you and there's the North Africa set. But I'm also seeing the front cover for Battalion EF1, Eastern Front 1, I'm guessing. Um, is that in production yet?
1: <laughs> no. Um, rules take a long time to write. And then once you write them, you're like, oh, I forgot this bit and I forgot this bit. And it's it's a rod for your own back that you make and then beat yourself with and um I I've got like ninety percent of the text for Battalion is done. Um but I keep adding more stuff to it. And I don't mean rules, I mean good stuff. Like orders of battle, um guides to paint schemes and, and things like this. Um so no. <laughs> it's gonna be it'll be next year, it'll be next year, but I'm nearly there, I'm nearly there. It's, I'm gonna to have to change the format the original format I wanted to do was a full uh comprehensive rule set captured in one book for one theatre, so you'd buy North African and have everything you needed to play North Africa, but the book now is so big um it's not it's gonna be a little bit like some other rule sets where you have fifty or hundred pages of rules condensed down through formatting into 40 pages of rules um, and then 500 pages of orders of battle and paint schemes, which you don't use while you're wargaming. Yeah. So what I need to do is I need to make one core rule booklet and then have really delicious theatre add-on books. That sounds doable. Um, which I think is a much more manageable format. And if you're not interested in North Africa, and you're only interested in the Eastern Front, or you're only interested in, you know, Italy or Normandy, you, you can just buy that particular uh, rule book rather than, you know, sort of buying all the stuff that you don't want. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um. So, with the rules, then, what is the unique selling point do you think for for the battalion? Set. I know that um, you've got the North Africa set is available uh, through War Game Vault and is in beta testing. Um, what would you say as a as an elevator pitch? What is the unique selling point to this set of rules as
1: opposed to anything else? My World War Two rules are. I'm I'm really. They they're not common rule sets. Um, this this isn't so much a game it's a little bit more towards the simulation end but without being really you know getting bogged down and stuff so it's it's quite fast to play but it's it's quite deadly and that's what makes it fast it's deadly so if you uh, don't use cover and you don't use smoke you know and you, you you don't use real world tactics if you just you know go across the battlefield you're going to get killed by overlapping fields of fire um, because the de-engagement ranges are much longer than normal games. Um, when I, I used to play a lot of twenty mil, and I was always frustrated that the, the rifle squad couldn't shoot to the end of the street. <laughs> um,
0: this, this is a long, a long-held problem, isn't it, with wargaming World War Two and more modern. Periods in the larger scales that they can look very nice, particularly some of the stuff that you see now in twenty-eight mil. But if the if the if the scope of the game is such that your rifle can't fire from one end of the street to the other, then you're stretching the bounds of plausibility. I would suggest.
1: Yeah, and the the other thing is, if you look at any kind of like military manual, if you want to um, have any kind of real-world tactics you would have um, like a a line of infantry in depth, and in that depth there would be machine guns uh, and mortars and anti-tank guns, which would have overlapping fields of fire. But if you try and do that with these ridiculously short ranges in some games, you can't do it because you'd have to put everything next to each other because everything fires 18 inches, for example. So you can't you can't replicate what you read about,
0: yes, yeah, and to be honest um I don't know about most war gamers, but if I read about something, I want to be able to replicate that on the table that's why a war game I want to be able to I want to recreate some of those actions that um and one rule set doesn't fit all does it if you want to play um a platoon attack on a machine gun post or taking a house then you need to choose a set of rules that will facilitate that but if you want to play the larger scale game uh, at battalion level or divisional level then you've got to have rules that will accommodate that scope
1: Yeah, yeah exactly, Um, so what you're setting out to do, if you're setting out to have fun with your friends and you want to slam some stuff on the table and you want to have You know, another thing that happens a lot in war games is um, they'll have vehicles matched against other vehicles that that probably didn't see each other because of when they were developed and put into service, Um, which might seem really nitty gritty, but, you know, researching some of the vehicles we've done, say like the Panther, some of these variants were, they were only made for like six months, and then they made a, a new variant with bigger gun or more armor, you know. And same with T34. All all these main battle tanks saw a lot of um, development in a very very short period of time. Uh, a lot of people don't know that the the Soviet Union, um, you know, mostly Russia, didn't actually become an industri- a proper industrialized country until about 1943-1944 and they had a lot of problems with metallurgy and this affected their ballistic capabilities and their uh, anti-tank penetrators as they'd be called today Uh, so their their tank killing rounds that they'd put in tanks and anti-tank guns they had a lot of problems with with uh, the metallurgy for it um, and also some to some degree uh, but it's not so critical in the metallurgy of um, armor plate. So um, the Germans, on the other hand, you know, they had a superior, they they were, they've been industrialized for quite some time, um, much like Britain, uh, certainly America. Um, Obviously, the the industrial revolution started in Britain. Um, But, you know, it's all taken for granted it's taken for granted in you know one one tank round is a tank round but the the technology involved in that is what defeats your armor uh, and, and the Germans had a lot of face hardened armor plate as well so you've got you've got bad bad russian shells hitting hardened face hardened armor plate of the Germans if it's not perfectly square on the chances are it would shatter uh, before it penetrated because the front end digs in um, and then the, the, the rear end is pushed sideways and it, it actually shatters the shell and, and it loses its kinetic energy. So, so there's all these kinds of things that we don't necessarily take into an account and as a Wargames rules writer, you don't want to get like into that much level of detail, but you need to kind of let it um, influence influence the results.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because the, there's got to be a level, hasn't there, where the level of detail that you add in becomes unplayable. or Correct. You don't want to be making five or six separate rolls just for one tank shot.
1: No, um, th- there are rules like that, I do believe, um, yes. for scales like, uh, I, I don't actually know. It's something like fifty four millimeter and they have they might have like six guys in a tiger tank versus eight guys in a two t thirty fours or something like that yeah.
0: um
1: and they they play with huge models and they and they they take into account all these things um i, I think they're few and far between um, and they're quite an extreme bunch of war games but uh that that does exist at the other end of the scale yes yeah but uh
0: for a typical club night, if you've got two and a half, three hours of gaming, then you need something that's a little bit more streamlined, but has been influenced by the the truth of the matter and the the history and the the engineering that went into some of these vehicles and um, shells
1: and the tactics. Yeah. Um. So the the way I the way I did that was to increase. What we would perceive as normal wargaming game in ballistic ranges and and also to the degree movement, but there are options within these rules that if you're not happy with it, so like if you're not happy with the long ballistics arrangements, you can turn them into centimeters, so your inches become centimeters, and obviously right. that so there's there's two point five four centimeters to an inch, so you'd yeah. be effectively what. I don't know.
0: What's that? Less than half? It's less than half, isn't it? It would dramatically reduce the range and I guess the size of the table that you'd need. But this is where six mil comes into its own, isn't it? And that you get this realistic um the these realistic ranges on the table because and I've spoken about this a couple of times before, fairly recently actually, that the actual battlefield of a World War Two Tank engagement would look pretty empty, wouldn't it? Really, you'd have tanks at one end uh, firing at tanks at the other, and not much in between it. It's particularly in the Eastern Front, um, and you capture that. You capture that. Sorry, you capture that. That feeling, whereas if you're playing in the larger scales, it can look like you could probably throw a, a hand grenade the distance that the tanks are apart and, and shooting at each other.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, don't know. A couple of years ago, I read Otto Carius's um, autobiography, and he's on the Russian front and he's shooting at T 34s, which are two and a half kilometres away, and hitting them. Wow. You know, and killing them.
0: That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Because you've got to think, to think uh, certainly uh, to the naked eye, a tank two and a half kilometres away that's
1: it's going to be an incredibly small target It's <laughs> a yeah. no so huge thing
0: yeah, absolutely yeah the actual vis- um, the uh, the vision of uh, the ability to see that thing I'll get my words right I the ability to see that thing first of all, never mind hit it uh, must be must have been incredible he must have been quite a skilled
1: tanker or the, the thing that limits um, engagement. In modern conflict, is actually the terrain. So it's hills, yes, and um, vegetation, forests, buildings. It isn't. It, it isn't. It certainly isn't the range of the weaponry.
0: No, even even just folds in the ground, isn't it? Um, yeah, it doesn't take much of a a depression in in a field to be able to go hull down or to conceal uh, a tank completely or a, a body of men um, from from the line of sight and and. From my understanding, it's that you're absolutely right. That it's not the it's not the ranges. It's it's the things in the way that that will prevent the um, the sighting of these things. Um, we've wandered way off topic there, Robert. I told you I was full of tangents. <laughs> but but that's fascinating because every time I learn a little bit more about the Second World War and, and weapons and the vehicles etc., it's adding to my education. So. Uh, Thanks very much for that. Um so Dark let's talk Dark Ages then before we move on to the main topic. Um When did the Dark Age figures first release?
1: Uh <laughs> I can't remember. Um was it it was just it was just before was it just before lockdown?
0: Yeah, it was it was this year, wasn't
1: it? Was it? wasn't it? March. Yeah. Um yeah, I think that's about when it came out.
0: And I know you put a video up on your YouTube channel, uh, showing one or two of these figures off. Um, and again, the, I hate to gush, but, uh, they're, they're very nice. Um, and some unusual character types in there or figure poses or the, 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 the action that these figures were carrying out,
1: which you might not see in other ranges we've gone for fighting poses um and we've gone with we, the way i have my figures made um a, a whole strip is made as a strip It isn't. we don't make aspirman and then copy him four times and then or three times and then put him on a strip and then copy that again and then make that as a strip we we literally strip out the whole the whole strip is sculpted out so that every, so that you get four poses on a strip that are completely unique, um, and I think that adds to the variation of your army. Um, I, I think it's a little bit, uh, you know, people aren't all the same unless you're doing something where probably the only exception is probably Napoleonic's America's Civil War, where people, you know, are literally stood bolt upright to attention and then, then that suits but for world war 2 you don't want four riflemen all doing the same thing do you you want a little bit of variety on your on your base so that's what we try and do um and with regards to the dark ages uh, my 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 resident sculptor is a, re, a dark ages reenactor and um, so he's quite passionate about that kind of period um spears and and shields um, is his thing, so it was. It was kind of easy for him, I think, to get it to get it really
0: good. What I was so, what I was so inelegantly trying to convey was um, a couple of packs that you do. One is the battering ram, and the other is the Viking ladder, which are real pieces of art, if I may say
1: so. That was just my. Um, Megalomania. <laughs> I just wanted them because um, I looked at other people's rangers and I was like, well, where's the siege equipment? I was like, did Vikings use siege equipment? They sieged plenty of places. They must have used something. Um, but you can't, they didn't They didn't seem to build trebuchets or catapults or anything like that, which obviously came before. I'm not sure about the trebuchet, but definitely Romans had catapults, didn't they? Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure when trebuchets came out. I can't. I don't know. Maybe it was later. Um, somebody, somebody write in and tell me when trebuchets. I, I think it was later. Right. I think it was later. Um, but you know what did they use? And I found in a museum somewhere in Europe, I think. Um, a, pit, uh, a scene, a, a scene in the museum, where a, a Viking was using a, a pine tree, which he'd cut the limbs off as a ladder. And I thought, yeah, that's really feasible. You yeah, you'd do that because if you've ever seen a pine tree, it's very, it's very knotty wood, isn't it? Because it's got lots of branches, so it would easily lend itself to becoming an impromptu ladder. And if you were of that period. You've only really got what's behind, you know, around you. So if you wanted something like that, you, you'd just go take it from the forest, wouldn't you? And likewise, if you wanted a, a battering ram, you'd you uh, you chop down a tree and use that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, and do you know what struck me when I was looking at this line? Um, because of the animation and the dynamism, there's that word again. I think that's a word, isn't it? Dynamism. Something like that. You know what I mean. The dynamic figures. Um, what struck me about these figures was that, uh, if you were so minded, games like Saga, uh, you could play in six mil very easily, uh, with these figures. And you could almost have a, a warband of individual poses because there's so many, you've got four different poses per strip, haven't you? Um, and, they they are in the action of throwing spears or jabbing the spears or hacking somebody with a sword or an axe, um, and they they look really really great. I hope uh, I hope they've uh, been selling well for you, Robert, because they are, they deserve to sell. And you've got some buildings in there as
1: well, haven't you? Yep, yeah, um, we've we've had really great feedback on the Dark Ages figures. We've had a great feedback on all all our figures um, and vehicles. But we also do we do resin buildings. Um, th- we don't intend to do lots of resin buildings, but the resin buildings that we do do are complementary to whatever figures we sell. Um, we do a great range of Dark Ages buildings, which are fantastic. They were sculpted by Philip Page of Slug Industries, which is a beautiful... Um, you know, slugs slugs need more more love in the world, don't they? So, what a greater <laughs> name for your business than Slug Industries? I learned
0: something fascinating about slugs the other day um, about how many lives they saved of uh, British soldiers during the First World War. But I'll I'll go into that another day. <laughs> My God,
1: I yeah, can it's only imagine. Do, it's Is do this do something gas. to do with penicillin?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. To do with gas. Apparently, uh, they're very good at detecting
1: gas. Oh, All right. The
0: soldiers were provided with their own slug. Um, Did and they the have slug... to
1: name them <laughs> and look <laughs> after them?
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of Black Adder sketches now, but <laughs> let's not go down that route. Um, yes, yes, slugs need more love. And what's interesting actually about this these buildings is that you're um,
1: the, the Viking with the ladder actually reaches the top of your fortification, doesn't it? It does. We we've got some palisades, some wooden palisade walls. Um the the, the, the range of figures that we're trying to make is around ten sixty six. So it's it's the later Viking period but it's interesting because it's got it's the period where Alfred the Great dictates that you know, we need to do something about the Vikings and we're gonna turn all the towns into burrs. So it turns all the towns into burrs, which are basically fortified earthworks around your town to stop Vikings from killing you and taking all your stuff. Um uh, so that was that's complementary to, to sort of what we're doing. And obviously ten sixty six is the year the Normans come. So, some point, we need to do some Normans. I was going to say, I don't see any
0: Normans yet, but if you're setting it around 1066, I can't imagine they'll be too far away.
1: Our army packs contain four famous kings for the Anglo-Saxons. If you buy an Anglo-Saxon, you get the Anglo-Saxon king strip. It's got four kings, based based loosely off um, modern works of art celebrating them, and. Tapestries, and if you buy the Viking one, obviously you get you get Viking one. But but whilst researching the period, what I actually found was um these historians mostly referring to the Anglo Saxons and the Vikings and and all the rest of it. But when when you actually dig quite deep into it, they're almost the same people. So some of the leaders of the Anglo Saxons are Vikings, and some and and. Vice versa, not as much, but, you know, and so all these people from sort of Scandinavia, the Norse countries, and Britain, um, whilst might have, uh, might consider themselves quite different, they're actually quite similar um, for their heritage. Um, and in fact, uh, Normandy is quite, colonised by the Vikings and and the the king of the Franks says if you stay here and stop all the Vikings coming we'll gift you it and we'll pay you tribute etc so the, the people of Normandy sort of become Vikings but they're settled Vikings so the Normans when the Normans come in 1066 they're Franks and Viking mixed do you see what I mean? See how, yeah. see how like intertwined yeah. it all is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. I, well, I they've been raiding like, up
0: and down the com- the, the coastlines, haven't they, for two, three hundred years, I guess, and, or maybe even longer.
1: Longer, um, and and they actually they went everywhere. They even went across land, um, sort of across Russia, and anywhere there was water, down into the Mediterranean, um, Middle East, I think. Yeah, and there are. I think there's archaeological evidence that some things came up the Silk Road and ended oh, right. up in Viking sort of, you know, and got traded and then ended up yeah. in Scandinavia or or, or what? Wow. Yeah, you know, what's really the old Norse countries? Yeah.
0: That's so
1: it's absolutely mental.
0: It is the, these figures again. You know, the, the real. It's difficult to believe that they are. F- six mil when you look at the movement in them and um i don't know if you have any sort of schedule ready to do normans but i am going to commit here on the podcast to say that i shall do hastings and stamford bridge and what was the other battle those three wasn't there uh during that invasion um in six mil using two D six at Joy of Six twenty twenty two. There you go. There's a commitment for you. If wow. the if the Normans are out, <laughs> you've got to get the Normans out. Okay. Let me let me change that to the Joy of Six after the Normans come out, uh, because these these are going to be glorious to paint.
1: Right. Okay. I wasn't then, expecting that.
0: Well, well, I like to throw a curveball in every now and then.
1: Very I mean, you idea. might not,
0: get, you might not get them out for another five years yet, but
1: you know. Oh no! I'm getting them out now, pal. All
0: oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. I so like. Don't out. go
1: editing this out later. <laughs> I know, mate. The
0: power, the power of editing. <laughs> no, absolutely. I am doing that. I am doing that. I'm, I have no idea what rules I'll use. I don't know if you'll write your own for them or not, but. Uh, these are gorgeous. They are gorgeous. Right, enough drooling over 6 mil Dark Ages. We've got something else new, shiny, and exciting to talk about that's far more current and far more interesting than anything you're going to see on the 6 o'clock news tonight, or you did see tonight. Uh, we have a 6 mil Samurai by 2D6 Wargaming Kickstarter. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. Tell me all about it, Robert.
1: Um Like most things, I was up late at night drinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, a, lot, um, a lot of things
0: start at that
1: point, don't they? This <laughs> is how it all started. Um I I just really like I like the feudal Japan area uh, era. Um I like the Sengoku Jedi. And I I just really like it. I don't know I don't know whether it was because when I grew up in the in the 80s and the 90s, like like martial arts was a thing. You know, I think it was in the 70s, but it was, it was still sort of lingering, and and a lot of that 70s stuff was getting regurgitated on television because we didn't have thousands of channels, not quite. But it's just it's just like it's always sort of mystified me, um, and that's why I wrote those those Banzai rules. Um, and I recently acquired the old Muura miniatures range from the most excellent um, Jonas Svensson. Sounds like a Viking himself. He probably is descended from Vikings, but he loves—he also loves feudal Japan. He's—he's um, he's very very knowledgeable. Um, he's written articles about it, um, and he knows a lot more about it than I do. And he, he helped us with all these figures, um, the poses. Because, you see, the thing is, um, studying or, or learning about European history a lot, it's not how things are done in other parts of the world. It's not how things are done in the Middle East. It's not how things are done in India, Japan, China. So when you think about the medieval poses, you know, that you might, Assigned to your samurai figures, they're incorrect. So we used we used as as far as we could determine, we used the poses that we thought were um appropriate for the period. Um, and Jonas has a great deal many expensive books which I did not want to buy because um, I already own loads myself on other stuff and. He he graciously advised us, like almost on every pose, uh, that they, they come from a, a great tome he's got on the on the period and samurai and reenacting, um, and even down to which which units had sashimono, which is the the personal banner that some troops wear, and we I didn't know that that missile troops generally didn't wear them because they they got in the way of what they were doing. So a lot of a lot of missile troops didn't wear them. Um so that's that's represented in our figures. Before anyone asks, because they will. Um and everything from the you know, the way that the bows are held to the way the guns are held and reloaded and stuff is should be all period correct. And you know, statues um that we that we've done. Um, even the lanterns, everything. Yeah, we've researched everything. We do do a lot of research at 2D6 Wargaming. We love historical correctness. I think that shows, Robert, definitely. I hope it does. I yeah. hope it does. Um, so that was it, really. And I, I just really wanted um, some samurai. and I, it, it really got out of hand, and I... I thought, well, we'll just we'll just do some basics and then keep adding the stuff on, and everything became basic, and then it was like, <laughs> oh God, um, you know, where would you stop? Is, yeah, this is this is going to cost a fortune to bring into production an absolute yeah. fortune. The the scopes cost a fortune, um, simply because of the the, the number of them. Um, it, it's taken quite a long time as well um, to to bring them all about. So I hope they're well-received and that we've done them justice, to be honest. Well, as of
0: now, and it's one minute past eight on the 1st of November, I think you've smashed through £1,600 so far um, with the £1,000 goal, and you're into stretch goals.
1: You certainly are. Um, The stretch goals... Are generally, um, things that no one else makes, like, like the lion dog statues and the Tory gates. We've got some, um, street lanterns in there, um, which I think are great, great, um, additions to the old Mura miniatures line, um, which, which Jonas used to make, um, which he graciously sold to me, um, which I now produce. And, um, you know, basically, come the end of the year if you want a samurai army and you want the full package if you want you know, rules buildings and miniatures i can accommodate in spades <laughs> the um
0: so there's there's various pledge levels um and is, do the rules come with every pledge le-
1: level is that right or Yes, yeah. Free yeah, PDF yeah, for the rules. You get a free PDF of the rules with every pledge level, so if you don't already have your chosen samurai rules, uh, you can use them or, you know, if you prefer them. Rules are a, a thing, aren't they, that um there's a lot of personal preference involved. Yeah. So Is is this Banzai it certainly is. It's it's my Banzai rules. Um Okay. Talk I'm us sure. talk us through those a little bit. They were written originally in 2016. And again, I I addressed, I I did all my research and I gathered um, what I could on the period. The, The thing with Feudal Japan, a lot of the books are written by one guy. Because not only do you have to be able to speak Japanese, obviously if you want to write about this period and English, um, you know, it's there's a lot of barriers to it. There's a lot of barriers to entry. And also the, the Japanese themselves have enhanced their histories. Like like we have in the West. Um it's not it's not isolated to what they've done. Um so what you end up with is what's you know, how historically accurate do you want to be? So this guy called Dr. Stephen Turnbull, he wrote a lot of books about the samurai. In fact, he, he I've read a piece recently where he basically apologizes for inventing the ninja. <laughs> because there's actually no such thing as a ninja. Okay. I'm sorry. That's very disappointing. It's very disappointing because <laughs> we all grew up loving ninjas. Yes. <laughs> Who doesn't love ninjas? Exactly. What's cooler than a ninja? Nothing. But, a pirate. But it,
0: a pirate, maybe. But possibly. Well, possibly. <laughs> well, when you well, get
1: older, a pirate's certainly more achievable because <laughs> yes. being an older wounded alcoholic is a lot more achievable than being a gymnast kung fu master. 100%. So um, a ninja was actually more, should really be called a shinobi. And what it is, is a special forces soldier. Right. In a nutshell
0: now i played that game on the sega mega drive revenge of shinobi i don't know if you might be too young for that robert
1: i don't know but i w- always wondered what shinobi meant and now i know that's what it is it's special forces soldier in right. the olden days of japan so that's that's what they are that's what that's what we we would call them. so so how did we get from shinobi to ninja because of the way that kanji characters can be interpreted. Okay.
0: <laughs> and that's Stephen Turnbull's fault.
1: Um. He basically has written a piece saying that he made a lot of jumps. Which was fair enough because, you know, we don't all start out as experts in our field, do we? Um. And credit to him, he's He's trying to right his wrongs, um, but basically, no one else wrote about the period, so he he could could write whatever he wanted, and he didn't have peers dragging him down, and you know, like he would like he would have for another period.
0: So he's been a lone voice then,
1: yeah, for quite a long time. Um, I, do, do, I do have a
0: couple of his books on my shelves, to be honest. But
1: go on Amazon or wherever you like to buy books, and just put in samurai or feudal japan and the list will all be dr stephen turnbull stephen turnbull stephen turnbull um i'm not saying don't buy his books um certainly not but you know you this period is i don't want to put people off i really don't want people people off it doesn't have to be like this and it generally isn't like this because there aren't enough people that are interested in this great fantastic and exciting period but it can be a little bit like Napoleonics, where people know everything and um you know, they know what colour the buttons are supposed to be and all the rest of it. Which can be a little bit off putting, but honestly, you will you will hardly ever find these kinds of people because they're really much, much rarer than the Napoleonic crowd. Um so it's definitely a great period. It's a very colourful period, and it's very different to it's, it's, it's spears, spears and bows and arrows, no shields. Um, and it's, it's quite different to the European stuff. So it's, it, it's fun, you know? Um, w- when everyone's a novice at it, it's fun. Yeah. We, uh, we wandered off topic of the rules there
0: though, Robert. I'll just let me pull you back. <laughs> to tell us what 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 sort of level of game are we talking about um
1: what what type of game is banzai the type of game that banzai is is it uses a base which is 2 by 1 in ratio as a frontage so you can use 40 by 20 or you know whatever you want 60 by 30 if you prefer you can use whatever you want so as long as your opponent's using the same thing, and then basically, it's it's a fairly solid mathematical rule set. Um, there's there's various uh, uh, tricks to the dice, which allow um, frontage and flank and rear um, skill to be degraded as appropriate. Um, that there's uh, an It's a civil war period, so all your armies are basically the same except obviously being a time before uniforms and um, standing armies. It's the period where standing armies come about in feudal Japan. So you end up with armies which are really similar, but they are tainted by the idiosyncrasies of their leaders. So you end up with mostly the same, but a slight bent towards certain troop types, which is all in the army lists. There's, there's a lot of army lists in it. Um, they're mostly all samurai army lists, except for one, which is a religious rebellion, um, which is also a package in my Kickstarter. The Ico Iki. That's correct. Um, if I've said that right. Yes. Um, <coughs> so so basically. It's a, it's a basis game, sort of medieval style, um, with slightly different set out and engagement, which there's a guide for in the rules. So you, you, you know, it's, and, it, and I, I ask if you do try the rules, don't try and play it like medieval Europe. You know, like, look at the tactics involved and then try those out because it, they're really fun yeah. and they make it what
0: it is. There's various sorts of uh, formations, wasn't there, during the... Yeah, and they've all got really colourful names and stuff like that. Um, crouching dragon, and that probably isn't one, but, you know... Some <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fishtail formation.
1: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and that's what makes it really cool. Um, so instead of having wall-to-wall um, infantry, like you would have in, in a lot of medieval war games, you, you have all these like crazy formations and stuff. And it, it becomes a bit more about um individual battles here, there and everywhere. Rather than, you know, keep hold the line. So with this set of
0: rules, are, are we able to play historical battles like Kawanakajima or I've run out I've run out of my knowledge of <laughs> Sengoku era battles.
1: There's I think this I'm sure there's three scenarios in it. Okay. Um what there are there are some historical battles and there's some tutorials so that you can learn the mechanics of the game but you know like in a fun way because it's it's very much rock paper scissors for troop type so it's just it depends how you deploy them and and it's down to maneuvering you know so
0: um within the kickstarter then there's rules there's the mu buildings that you've got now and uh, the miniatures uh, you've broken down into three classes by the looks of it with the Ashigaru, Samurai and Warrior Monks so how, how many sculpts have you got for the range?
1: Uh, loads is <laughs> the easy answer. I'm not actually sure off the top of my head. Um, this, I'm reading it now, straight off of Kickstarter. It's 67 foot figures, eight mounted. Um, there's three palisades, and as they're all they're all the same, but as as they're each each palisade was sculpted uniquely, I suppose they are three different palisades. Um, a Tory gate and two lion dog statues.
0: Now, and what was a,
1: what was a Tory gate? Um, a Tory gate. You you still see them. Uh, In Japan and China, a lot of the Japanese influence comes from China throughout time. Uh, A tori gate usually is, do you know, like a church gate has a little roof on it. And that is to tell you that you are going from the everyday world to a sacred place. That's what the English church gates actually mean and it the same with these japanese gates they are for the uh, shinto buddhist uh, culture and, and religion to tell you that you are entering a sacred place but they they often don't have a wall around them but they are will, they will be next to a temple shrine um, or or a sacred ground
0: now i'm just scrolling through the images you've got and i think possibly I may be wrong in this. this. I'm going to say this is an iconic image. Um, it may just be iconic for me. Um, the mounted messengers with the puff balls on the back is the way. The horro. Is that what it's called? The horro. It's a inflated silk bag, I think. Is it? It is, yeah. Which is uh, protection from arrows. And I only, only know that because I'm reading it here on your, on your Kickstarter page. But they're very uh, iconic for me. They are from. Images of uh, Samurai and from watching Ran and Kajimusha back in the day.
1: Yeah, so um, messengers probably wouldn't wear a sashimono uh, because they'd be going into, you know, everywhere on the battlefield. And obviously, if you can kill uh, a messenger, you can stop a message, which is a powerful thing on a battlefield. Um. So what they used to do was we used to wear these silk. So a lot of the times they were actually on a frame, so they were always uh, puffed up. But they can also be inflated when you move. But I think largely they were on a frame, and it's just a silk bag. And then it, when an arrow hits it, it just gets snarled up, and it loses so much energy by the time it hits the armor on your back, it's um, defeated.
0: Obviously. So it's a, a bit of a, a bit of protection for the messengers as they're flying around the um the battlefield to uh send the message from the Daimyo to uh it's it's uh, their equivalent of a bulletproof verse. Yeah, yeah. And it must have worked, I guess, or else no messages would ever have got through.
1: Yeah. I I think it did work. I think it did work. Um, did, it fa- I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> did it work all the time? I wouldn't fancy trying. Did it work all the time? Do bulletproof vests work all the time? No. You know, not all armors invulnerable, is it? So, I, I think it did work, and I, I think it also was a status thing. Yeah, many of these things are status driven. But the, the
0: football important football. thing is they
1: look great. Yeah, yeah, was a fashion statement on the on the
0: feudal Japanese
1: battlefield. Uh, and you can is. give them real cool paint jobs. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's gonna test test your your paint skills. I've always thought that about the samurai armies. Or I, I used to, until I painted a fifteen mil Samurai army once. And it's not as complicated as you think. You can sort of get away, can't you, with without getting all that individual cord or lacing or whatever it was on the on the armour. Uh,
1: you're not you're not really gonna be able to do that in six mil. Uh, you're not gonna be able to pick out individual lacing. Doesn't matter who's Figures you buy, I would say. But um, I don't think you need to, do you, to get the overall effect? No, as 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 a general rule, there is a there's a there's a painting color guide in the Banzai rules that tells you what kind of colors are appropriate for what kind of troop types. So so your your Ashigaru, like I said, this is time before standing armies. They'd be fairly. Fairly well off if they were given something akin to a cuirass um, and and an iron helmet. Um, Generally, this kind of people, the serfs, would be wearing dark clothing, typically black. And their armour would just be sooted. If it was metal, it would be sooted, so it would be black as well. So they're generally very drab and dark. And then it's your samurai that are all colourful. So they, they, much like the noble nobility of Europe, they'd be buying their own armour and then they'd want to stand out and they would have their customised sashimono which would have perhaps their name on it or something which they wanted people to associate with them like the element fire, you know, the, the kanji element fire would be written on it or something like that, whatever. Um, You know, and then your warrior monks are obviously sorta of uniformed because they're they're part of the monastery. And that's it really. The um I'm
0: just looking through the stretch goals then. So we're around about sixteen hundred pounds at the moment, which is just unlocked the samurai gunners. Uh so we've also got mounted monks unlocked. Uh we've got the Torrey Gate unlocked and Next at eighteen hundred pounds, we've got the lion dog statues, and they look incredible.
1: I love the lion dog statues. I think they're brilliant. Yeah. So they're they're a great piece of scenery that you can add to your buildings. Yes. And like I say, no one else, as far as I know, in six mil makes those. Yeah. So um, it's a, it's a great addition, even if you've already got stuff, you know, and then you can add those on. Yes. Yeah. And I would say. It,
0: and I'm, I will be putting up obviously links to the Kickstarter in the show notes, but again, check out these um, these Lime Dog statues because they're beautifully uh, sculpted. And if you, if you want them in your pledge, then uh, get pledging. Uh,
1: they, uh, they're they a pair as well. They're the, the left-handed and right-handed.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that now. Yes. So the two, are they two individual sculpts,
1: are they? They certainly are. Um, yeah. and, and they, they again... They're, like, they're a lot like gargoyles from medieval yeah. Europe, yeah. and they would be uh, warding away evil spirits. You can see that. It would ward me away if I met them on
0: a dark night. <laughs> um, So ha- is this the entirety of the range then, Robert, or is the plan no, is
1: for more? There's going to be more. There's always more. Good. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> um, I had to stop. I had to stop because you see how big this range is. I had to stop. I couldn't keep going because it had just become even more impossible to release. Um, I, I'm going to do some some Diamyo characters, and I think I'm going to do them with some historical research and give them their their retainers to aid them we should we should explain what a, re- a samurai retainer is you, you better because i have no idea so it's a very overused word that you'll find in a lot of books that refer to the period and the samurai retainer is it's just part of a noble's retinue so he might not be he might be a really good fighter you know or he might be an artisan Or there's lots of reasons you might be a retainer. You you might handle his finances, so you might be his bookkeeper. You know. But it's just a very overused word in the period. Uh, Retainer, samurai retainer. And when samurai would go into battle, they would typically take one or several retainers with them. And their purpose was to make sure the samurai didn't get stabbed in the back. And also to... Carry the heads that he chopped off the other samurai, which was part of the head ceremony after the battle, where you take all the heads you'd claimed and go, "Look, I killed Lord uh, Frank from their their side, and um, I want recognition for it and probably a cash reward."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Seems reasonable if you if you've taken Frank's head. Right, yeah,
1: so, so that, that was your proof. That was your proof of, of what you'd done. And then people would recognize who you'd killed by his head. Um, because the the noble classes, you know, much like in Europe, were interconnected socially um, and probably in business as well. Because
0: in the uh, individual daimyo's de- daimyo, de- de- how would you say that? De- um
1: Daimyo, Daimyo, but if... Some Americans pronounce it Daimyo. Right. And not being... I don't know what the actual Japanese word is for... I'll go
0: with Daimyo. Daimyo, there you go. Um, They had uh, some weird and wonderful sort of... I don't know if they were called standards or banners or or whatever, but there's some real odd shaped flags and devices, weren't there, that would show their presence on the battlefield?
1: Yeah. Yeah. your regular, your lower rank samurai, their sashimono was that device. Um, but when you get up to the real big lords, then they not only have their own device, which they were, they have, they might have one or more other devices which they employ, uh, one of their retainers to, to carry around so that everyone knows where they are. It's it's very much status, and it's it's what we would call heraldry, but it but it's not it's not heraldry as we know it.
0: But what it does do is add to the colour and spectacle of the battlefield, doesn't it? Particularly for miniature gamers, um, certainly they're, does. Yeah, they're just great little pieces, aren't they, to put on?
1: Yep, um, and you and can't have too many. You can't have too many on your army. So no. you can make your army look really splendid.
0: So, so daimyo's are coming. I, I guess the, the is it the Maku screen, the the screened area that they would sit in. You, will that be coming as well?
1: If people want that, we will make that. Yeah. If people request it, I'm, I'm really open to. I'm probably a lot more open than other makers to re, um, requests. Yeah. Because I understand that, you know. There's a lot of things that people are after that they can't get. Right. So if you want stuff, come and ask me. Yeah, you've heard that here first, folks. Um, I know two people
0: in particular. One is a member of my club, uh, Kevin. Um, I've communicated with him this afternoon, actually. And he was reading through uh, a copy of Banzai as I was speaking to him. Um, And I, I pointed him to your Kickstarter. So, Kevin, and we've had a discussion offline about possible pledges. So, Kevin, if you listen to this, I've given you the name plug now, and you've just heard Robert say that he's open to suggestions for anything you want, so uh, get in on it. And the other person is uh, Steve at Little Wars TV, who in the – I don't know if you've seen this, Robert, but um, on the Little Wars TV YouTube channel, uh, they fought and Nakajima.
1: Uh, in they the did, experience. they did, and they they do great videos on yes. wargaming. Yes, their wargaming videos are brilliant.
0: They are, aren't they? Steve is a huge uh, feudal Japanese nut, um, and having spoken to him on the show uh, and uh, listened to him on on that channel, I, I know that for a fact. So, if he isn't aware of this, and I know he listens to the podcast, he will be now. Um, but I will be sending a link over to the. Uh, Kickstarter for him because I'm sure he'll be interested as well. Because I, I don't think they were quite satisfied with the Killer Katana rules that they'd used. They they made good use of them and and played a, a fantastic game out there. But I don't think the review was glowing of those rules that they did afterwards. So
1: rules rules are very um, you know. That there's more rules than there are players. And of course, not, not everyone likes all the rules. No, of um, course, of course. But uh, it's yeah, not—it's no.
0: like, not like you're playing golf or chess, is it? Where there's one no. set of rules. No. Wargaming, as you say, everybody has got the favourite set of rules, and most people own more rule books than they'll ever play in
1: their life. I know someone. I know someone like that.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, and and they are very subjective, aren't they? But but there's a, another set of samurai rules here which would allow you to play uh, Kawan Or again, I've ran, I've, I've gone dry on the, <laughs> the Sengoku era battles, uh, Steve. But uh, this one's for you, mate. And uh, I'll, I'll point you in this direction. So um, 15 days to go on the Kickstarter. What's the turnaround going to be on people receiving their goods?
1: Hopefully, as soon as possible. Um, but obviously, in this new world that we live in, where everyone's got to stay two meters apart, um, because I use a casting service, which is out of house, it's a, it's a, it's a medium sized business. So they cannot not follow the guidelines, right? So I'm basically at their mercy. I've given them a, um, a very achievable, deadline and I've asked them to support me and I've showed them my Kickstarter and we, we've lined up all our ducks in a row and we want um, both to deliver this timely. I'm hoping the, the the maximum it will take to deliver this Kickstarter, to deliver everyone their products should be the end of February 2021, which seems a little bit far away, but believe you me, you know, you blink and and we'll be there. But I, I'm really hoping it'll be before that.
0: Well, if you underpromise and over deliver, then
1: Yes. I'm yeah. I'm using the Scotty method and I've I've from Star Trek and I've I've estimated the time it'll take and then I've timed it by one and a half. <laughs>
0: that sounds a wise move in today's day and age.
1: So hopefully something along those lines and uh, and we'll be done. But, but I- um like you, like you said about the the Joy of Six thing, you know, if if Little Worlds TV would like, I would be happy to sponsor um, a game. If if they want a load of miniatures from this, I'd be more than happy to extend extend that offer. The hand of friendship across the ocean.
0: Yeah, certainly. <laughs> I'll I'll point them your way. Don't don't worry about that, uh, Robert. I'll I'll certainly do that. Um, yeah, the, I think that. The thing with Kickstarters, and I've I've done I've, I've two Kickstarters before for um, fantasy or science fiction stuff, and one of the problems is that even if the Kickstarter delivers on time, um, which for both of those it was a twelve month turnaround, um, by the time the actual product arrives, I've moved on about five or six projects and lost all interest in uh, in the original product but i think with the quick t- and for me that if you're talking about the end of february at the latest that's a that's a pretty quick turnaround um so i think i think that's great uh, to be able to say that and obviously i'm not holding you to it mate because the real world situation could well get in the way but um I I wish you all the best with the Kickstarter Um, and having that shorter turnaround, I think we'll keep that interest there. And also this openness that you've said about you're open to ideas about future developments uh, within the range. So this isn't the range complete.
1: This isn't all of it. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Probably need locking up. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, it, possibly look at a Kickstarter too if this is successful for the rest of whatever it is you've got
1: planned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But the, the thing is, we can't we can't add anything more to this Kickstarter because of the length of development that it takes. Like, I don't just whip up a strip of infantry and then they're ready in two weeks. It's yeah. it's all months. This this all started uh, February of of this year, right? so you see how much you know it takes to, yeah. to to bring it all around um but but if you are if you are tempted by 6 millimeter samurai or you just really fancy a new period this is a great period to go into it's very colourful there's there's lots to learn but in my rules i i explain it so it's nice easy to digest pieces um and also the the, the armies are like Ready to go. So if you buy Samurai Captain or Dayamyo, um, or even Shogun pledge levels, you've got the rules, you've got, you've got a little bit of terrain and you've got the, all the armies you'll need. Uh, certainly if you get Shogun, you probably have enough for, for, for a couple of armies. Yeah. Um, and a shed load of terrain.
0: Yeah. The, um, I think it's great that you're not overstretching yourself because I, I imagine it could have been tempting to throw everything in that you've got planned and then overstretch yourself and and then struggle to fulfill the the pledges
1: and then have to remortgage my house and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sell the range yeah yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah. don't
0: want that we don't
1: want that there there mm-hmm. has been some kickstarters like that hasn't there?
0: there there has and there's been kickstar in fact Kevin uh, who I mentioned earlier he was talking about a Kickstarter that he pledged on a good while ago with a considerable amount of money that hasn't delivered. Um, and there's some production problems with the company that uh, should be getting that stuff to him, but it's best part of £300.
1: Uh, it's not funny, is it? And it's he's not seen funny, nothing, nothing for it
0: over however long ago. And it's, you know, I can't remember how long it is, but and I also know horror stories where where pledges have never arrived and people
1: have just lost the money. So there is absolutely no chance of that with this Kickstarter.
0: No, no, and and, and listen, Robert, I I wouldn't be getting you on
1: if I thought that was the case. (laughs) No, Um, Um, I, I I could, I could do this without the Kickstarter. Yeah, Um, but I, you know, I'd be putting my hand deep in my pocket for it to, to deliver it. This is this is a much nicer way, and people are getting some freebies, you know, yeah. and they're getting some discounts and stuff. So yeah, it's it benefits everybody. Yeah, and I think it, it, when
0: it's done right, Kickstarter is a more than valid way of funding these sort of projects, particularly for the smaller companies out there. When large companies choose Kickstarter, I do question that because yeah <laughs> they really probably have got the finance to do that it's really a pre order system for them for themselves that in that case whereas this you you're minimizing your risk but the customer is benefiting because there'll be some cheaper figures and a few freebies in there yeah yeah and what we want is as the six mile community and the, the smaller scale community is more companies like yourself as two D six war game, uh to be around to give that variety and that choice um within within the Hobby. So uh I really hope that this is a big success for you and uh, we see more of it in the future. But if you run a Kickstarter for Normans then I'll be straight in. I'm probably going to be pledging on this shortly. I did promise no more projects this year because I am un- overwhelmed by uh, projects. But uh, sometimes, but I'll,
1: but it, it might it's going to deliver at the end of the year. Yes, so yeah, mate. I'll, don't, technically, I'll, it's not uh, this year. <laughs> you know, My little samurai captain never hurt anyone.
0: A exactly, little samurai captain never hurt anyone. And funnily enough, that was the pledge that myself and Kevin were talking about. So. I've even got a built-in opponent when we can actually meet face to face. So uh, it could be a thing down at the Stoke Club, and it'd be a lovely painting project over the um, over the winter months, wouldn't it? As we lead into the spring,
1: absolutely, especially because it's got some colour in it. Yes, I think, exactly. I think we need well these I, dark times.
0: Yeah, well, my two painting pro- big painting projects at the moment are First World War Battle of the Somme and the American Civil War, and as much as I love both of those periods. Don't get to use a lot of color on either of them uh not much more than blue gray or khaki so uh, uh, samurai could be the one um robert there's uh you've been on this show before you know that there's two requests I make of every guest: one is that you will agree to come on again i will uh and the the, the second request is that you deposit at least one book or maybe two or three if you so choose, onto the shelves of the God's Own Scale virtual library.
1: Have you got a book that you would
0: like to deposit?
1: I have. I have. You really put me on the spot because this was all arranged in short order. It was, uh, wasn't it? So <laughs> I, I, w- I went through about five or six books, um, but my it's it's a goodie. It's a goodie. It's uh, It's the histories. The Histories. The book is entitled The Histories.
0: Oh, right. Okay. I thought there was going to be more to it. It's The Histories full
1: stop. <laughs> there's, there's more to it. I'm just testing you. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, it's called The Histories in English language. <laughs> um, it's by Herodotus of Halicarnassus. Oh, my God. I'll never be able to spell that. Who in, in the modern world is accredited as being the first historian. Right. Because he's the first man, as far as we know, that wrote down history. Right, and he was a Greek, and he travelled around Greece, uh, that sort of area, the Mediterranean, Persia, and he came back. and Basically, he he was a he was a kind of like a noble. He was well off, which allowed him to travel. And then what he did was he he wrote down the histories of the peoples and the lands that he'd been to. But he didn't write them down initially. He just he used to do seminars on them, and he that's how he used to earn a few quid was to to recant his tales, which which probably embellished um, somewhat, mm-hmm. you know, for the sake of uh, a good story, yeah, like a lot of historians. Um, but he he wrote he later on he wrote it down, and that's the earliest uh, recorded histories we have. Well, that is one obscure book.
0: Uh, Robert, it may just be my ignorance and lack of education, but it's a new one on me. Um, last time I spoke to Little Wars TV, Steve of the 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 guy interested in the Samurai era, uh, gave me the Taylor King, which is about um, uh, Munster in the in the I think the fifteenth century and the rise of the Anabaptists, and I didn't think that that was going to be beaten as an obscure book, but. Maybe this one will rival it. Maybe not quite as obscure as Anabaptists in Munster during the thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth century, but this is
1: right up there, mate. So thanks very much for that. That will. I think. I think if you're into history, I think considering this is the first book, history book. This is yeah. the first history book that we 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 know of. Right. I think it's worth, perhaps not a read, but certainly you can get it in audiobook. Okay which makes it um which makes it a little bit more accessible to more people.
0: Okay. Well that will take pride of place on the god's own Sh- uh, scale uh virtual library shelves so thank you very much for that. Uh Robert thanks very much again for your time. Um is there anything else you'd like to throw in there for a plug or have we covered about everything you wanted to say?
1: Yeah, get get, get your money out and support my kickstarter. <laughs>
0: I'm going to echo that point. Get your money out, guys, and support this uh, chap to uh, realize his dreams and ambitions. We need more 6 mil. We need more 6 mil to conquer the wargaming world. We do. We do. And uh, I think we're starting to chip away. I certainly see a little bit more discussion about it over the likes of Twitter and. Facebook than uh, we used to. I think I think we're getting there. I think we start we're we're in the in the foothills of the mountain that we're climbing, and I think we're making good progress. So uh, thanks for that, and it, it's it's down to people like yourself as well, Robert, because uh, you are a big champion of six mil, and you're a producer uh, of the figures and um uh, a producer of some excellence, really. Um, you've you've got a very high standard. Uh, product which really helps I think to sell the scale and the idea of the scale so uh, well done to yourself mate uh, right we'll leave it there uh, we've had about uh, just over an hour at it, I'll, uh, the intention is I get this out pretty much straight away so uh, keep your ears pinned uh, Robert and I'll uh, I'll send you a link but uh, for now thanks very much for your time
1: thank you for having me on Sean, much obliged
0: no worries mate,
1: thank you